Good morning, everyone. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here and super excited to be with you this morning and the journey that we're taking together as a, a church through the book of Genesis. I want to invite you this morning to open up to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be reading the first 13 verses. And just a recap of where we've been. We started in chapter 1. Good place to start, right? So we started in chapter 1. And when we were in chapter 1, we were, we were chasing the beginning of the story because it is the beginning of the story. The book of Genesis actually, the word Genesis means beginning. And what we talked about is that the beginning actually matters. The beginning matters. And when Jesus actually told his story as it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, when asked about his own story and to begin to tell his own story about who he is, he didn't go where a lot of us might have gone. Like if somebody asked you what your story is, some of us might have chased back to, well, it started in like a hospital somewhere here in Grand Rapids or wherever you were born. It started there. Or we might have chased back to something else. Jesus didn't go back to Bethlehem. He didn't go back to um, a manger and he didn't talk about stars in the sky and uh, a, a, a group of shepherds that were out in the field. He actually chased all the way back to the beginning. And he went where John went when John said that in the beginning was the Word and it was God and, and Jesus was God and there was nothing that was made that he didn't make. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and this is where he went, where John went, chased all the way back. There was not a single thing that was made that wasn't made through me. And then we see in chapter 2, we talked about not just does the beginning matter, but we talked about the story and how we read the story matters. And when we talk about the story, we're talking about this, about the Bible. How do we read the Bible and how we encounter it? It matters. We go to it expectantly, believing that God's actually going to speak to us when we open this book. And when we do that and encounter God in it, we have a true encounter with the God of creation. I think at that moment, there are really two big questions we ought to be asking ourselves when we have a true encounter with God. And the first one is this. What is God trying to show me about himself? Secondly, what is God trying to show me about myself? Because above everything else, the Bible is a story about God and us in relationship with us and God. What does this say about God and what does it say about me. And so today, we're going to pick up with a really massive question. The question is this. Not just does the beginning matter, not just how do we read the story and that matters, but what is my story? What is it? And what's your story? What really is our story? Because our story matters too. In fact, our understanding of humanity itself it really matters. Nothing will quite shape us like our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves. Our understanding of God and our understanding of who we are. Because out of those two things, we will live, we will move, we will encounter others, and we will react in this world. Nothing is going to shape us more than our understanding or belief about who God is and who we are. And again, I would state this. When we start thinking about who we are, we have to go back farther. Farther than just where we got born, over in St. Mary's or at Butterworth or somewhere, wherever you were born. Go back farther than that. 
far enough that we can actually figure out who are we as beings on this planet. And here's my strong guess. My strong guess is a lot of who we are can actually get captured in photos of themselves because we do it all the time. Somehow a photo will tell you something about who you are or it'll tell you something about who somebody is. Or it'll, it'll somehow, like a picture, when we look at a picture, it's more than just something that we're looking at. It's almost like this thing has the ability to speak to us and I want us to capture a picture this morning of who we really are. In fact, I, I want to play with some photos a minute. And as you look at these photos, I want you to think about what are you feeling or what words come to mind because photos, whether they're on your phone in your locker, hanging on the wall at your house, sitting on some bench in your house, these photos have the ability to actually speak without volume, right? So this photo, what's it make you feel? I mean, like, that kid is so cute. I cannot wear a towel that cool, I'm just saying. Or this one. Adorable little girl. Another one. Those cheeks, those eyes, I'm like, wow. And that one right there, when I pulled that up, I went, I, I love her. I've never met her. I already love this little child, right? That one will just melt your heart. And this one. I mean, something's happening, right? You look at these photos of these children, and it's like, I showed up here, and you might have been grumpy on the way here, and like grumpy starts to leave, and I got enough smiles to share with you. And, and what do we do with these cute little kids? We dress them up to try to make them cuter, and we do this with them. And we put little pom-poms on them and go, oh my goodness, I just want to scoop that child up. And, and then we think, what else can we do to a child? And we do this to them, and we... I don't know who came up. That's the most creative hat I've ever seen. They, that's not her hair. They're, they like, that's the hat. And I go, if that doesn't make you look old enough, you can do this to a child. Right? Make them look like that. And I'm like, this stuff is actually pretty amazing right there. And then, here's my question. What did you feel when you were looking at those photos? What thought came to mind? Because here's mine. Innocent. Innocence. 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 Until they get a little bit older. All right, so what caption, what caption do you put on that one right there? Because I have one for it. You might want to put that little fist back in your pocket, buddy. That's the caption I put on there. You got three seconds to put that away. And then they get a little bit older and they teach the mother how to pray, right? Or teach the mother what a migraine feels like. And then they get to the place where they begin to argue over a remote. And just so you don't think I'm only talking about kids, I'm not talking about kids because some of us, we get older and we still haven't learned, right? And it's not just teaching the young moms how to pray, but we actually have our parents that are seniors that are learning to pray for us. And what's our story here, really? What is it? What's our story? Is it innocence or this? What is it? So let's read the story together. We're in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read the story beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, the, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the trees was good for food and pleasing for the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then both the, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings of themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? That section of Scripture, some of us are aware of this, but it's referred to as the fall or the fall of humankind. Like the, the downfall. What happened to humankind in that moment changed literally everything. And we all know what that's about because all of us there's not a single person in this room that hasn't had some experience of doing wrong in this world doing wrong to another human being saying something that we wish we could take take back doing something that damaged a relationship and knowing at that moment what i did what i said how i acted how i interacted it just caused a break in this relationship in such a way that it's going to have to be repaired And this is what happened with humankind. This is our story. If we chase back far enough, we find this is the story. And if we were to read on in chapter 3, what we would find here is that the result of this, the break of this, the damage that was caused here, God spoke it. And I, I sense with some severe anguish over this, speaking, what have you done? What is this that you have done? Because now there will be severe pain and childbirth and the land itself the land it hardened not just a break between us but the land itself has a hardness to it now that you have to till the ground and it will be with blood sweat tears that you're going to have to break this ground to get food out of it and the thorn and the thistle and the weed are going to come up with it and eventually death itself has now entered this world and you who came from dust will return to dust, it will touch you as well. And sadly, I, I think tragically, not only did this happen, but in this story, you can see it all over this story, something entered into this world, into humanity that entered into you and it entered into me, it entered into every single 
human being that we taste it. If we live long enough, if we breathe long enough, we experience this. And this thing is called shame. And shame, it's powerful. And it's destructive. Shame's that thing that we feel when somehow we begin to wonder, am I really worthy of being loved? Am I really worthy of being cared for? Shame's that thing that, that we hold inside of us when we wonder, if you knew what I knew about me, would you reject me? Would you disown me? Would you walk away from me? Would I be accepted at all by you any longer? We have this longing, deep longing inside of us to be loved and to be truly known. But shame keeps us or can keep us from actually stepping into that place where I'll let you fully know me because I want to be loved and I really want to be fully loved. But to be fully known risks me being loved at all. Shame entered into the world. And shame tragically is something that each one of us, each one of us experience or experiences we deal with or we're dealing with even right now. And that thing is something that, that didn't exist prior to this moment. Chapter two. Chapter two, we read this from from the book of Genesis, that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Chapter 3, we have shame that enters. Chapter 2, it's not there yet. They're living in a place where they're experiencing none of that. No sense of unworthiness. There's no thought, am I actually worth being loved? There's no thought that I have anything to hide. There's no thought that I have anything to prove. We're just living in a place where they are naked and felt no shame. And the the operative words in here have nothing to do with their nakedness. It has everything to do with the no shame that they're actually feeling. And what we see here is that for the very first time in the world, if we go back to the beginning, for the very first time in this world, shame begins to enter. And we see it in chapter 3. These are the words that proceeded... Chapter 2, the words that proceed this chapter, and we read here that I heard. These are Adam's word. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. First time, I have something to hide. First time in human history, I have something to hide. And Adam is feeling for the very first time. And we're not talking about the innocence of a child or a a younger child. We're talking about a grown human being who had had no experience at all of any shame in his life is feeling it for the very first time. And he speaks and said, I hid. I had reason to hide. You know, if there is one thing in the church that I could eradicate, If I had the ability to eradicate this 100% in the church, it would be shame. I would want to be done, done, done with shame for you, for me, for everyone around us. And then, if we could eradicate that right here in this place, among us, Fairhaven Church, we who call ourselves the body of Christ right here in this local community, and then have it spread through us, 
to every single church in West Michigan, to every single church in Michigan, to make its way into every single corner and every single church in the world. It'd be shame. If we could eradicate this, it would be amazing. And then, if it went from the church and through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit, found its way into every human being, no more shame. How amazing would that be? Because shame and guilt, let's be clear, they are very different things. They look like each other and they, they hold up next to each other and they play off each other. But guilt is actually what you did. Shame is what you think you are. Guilt is because of something that you carried out. Shame is something that you carry deep inside, wondering about yourselves. Guilt has this, this way of making us think that that was a pretty unwise thing to do. But shame has a way of making us think, I'm a pretty unworthy person of being fully loved. And I know this, that our view of humanity, it matters. Your view of yourself matters and your view of others around you It actually matters. And it's worth getting after what we're talking about here because there's a line in chapter 1. A line in chapter 1 that also speaks about who you are. A line in chapter 1 that goes after chapter 1 of the book of Genesis that goes after who we are, who humanity is. And I know this, that when I think about wanting to eradicate shame, in this world and in you and in me and in those that are around us. I'm not standing alone here today. and That's not just something that I'm making up and saying, well, that's Pastor Greg's thing. No, this is Jesus' thing. What did he come into this world for? But to eradicate your guilt and your shame, to take it upon himself, to bury that once for all, was the work of God. In Christ, that he would take, he who knew no sin, he would become sin, that we might actually become the very righteousness of God. In chapter 1, we see this repeated statement that goes again and again and again. In chapter 3, we see the fall of humankind. But in chapter 1, what we actually see there is this statement that comes out of the creation story. And it's again and again and again And again and again, that God, he separated light from darkness, that God separated the waters, that God was hovering over all of this. And in the midst of it, we find this phrase that says, and God saw that it was good. And then just a bit later, he he makes some of the. The, the animals that find their way into those waters, the fish in the sea, and God saw that it was good. And then not long after that, the, the sky that he created, he put a sun and a moon in it, and then birds that were soaring in the air, and God saw that it was good. And each one of those days of creation we see, and God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Here's the pattern. You catching it? Chapter 1, saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he makes the animals that are walking on the face of the earth of every kind. He breathes into some dirt, and that dirt from dust you came. He breathes into it, and we appear, and he doesn't say that it's good. He says, 
It is very good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. You are my best work. It is very good. It's the declaration of God. And not just that. That would be enough to at least start somewhere. Say, where does it begin? To at least start somewhere. But we read these words straight out of the Bible where it says in chapter 1 that God was in the process of making you and I and making humankind. And he said, let us make them in our image. We are image bearers of the king of creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Typo, sorry for that. Male and female, he created them. And so God made us in his own image. We bear the very likeness of God. That's chapter 1. And so I ask you today, are you chapter 1 or chapter 3? What are you? Chapter 1 or chapter 3? Chapter 3 is the fall. Chapter 1 is the image. Chapter 3 is hiding. Chapter 1 is you are good. You've been created good. You know, Apostle Paul talked about this stuff. I talk about it quite a bit from the pulpit here where I say that the ultimate for our lives is this, that we would live like Jesus, we would love like Jesus, we would serve like Jesus, we would be like Jesus in this world for the sake of the world, for sure, but for your sake too. How could it be any better than to actually become so much like Jesus that our love, our capacity for love increases and what we give our lives to that we're living for the stuff that really matters in this world. And what we're doing with that is we are serving other people and finding this is the best life to live. Do I say that stuff simply because I want that but I know it's a pipe dream? No. That would be to set every one of us up for failure. But these are the words of the apostle himself when he talks about us, you and me, being conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus, straight out of the Bible. And when we think about that, he talks about us living. For me to live is Christ, he says, that the pleasing aroma of Christ, it's on us that we become the very pleasing aroma of Christ in this world, meaning we can live like, we can look like, we can act like, we can serve like, we can even smell like Jesus, right? And I don't, I don't know about that last one, that we can actually smell like him, but that aroma thing, I actually, I don't know if your mind goes where mine does, but once in a while I do weird things and I'm like, the aroma of Christ. I just did it the other day and I went, I wonder. wonder if anybody's actually made a clone called the aroma of Christ. Because to me, Christians are weird. Let's just be real. Some people would buy that, for real. Like spray it on, think it's some kind of evangelistic tool. I'm going to douse myself with the aroma of Christ and go out. Hmm, what's that new cologne you got? It's the aroma of Christ. Can I tell you about Jesus? Man, people, I mean, they're just weird. So I got online anyway, and I'm like Googling the aroma of Christ. I'm going, somebody probably did. And I, I looked it up. I couldn't find it. Maybe my search engine's not as good as yours. If you find it, I honestly, I'd be interested to see if it's out there. And if it's not, and you're going, oh, people would buy this. That's a great, you heard it here first, I get some royalties, all right? If you pull that off. 
But we can. You know, that piece, no. And there's something more. That's another sermon. But we can, we can actually become like... We don't become Jesus, but we are His hands and His feet. We become like Him in this world. We can do this work in our world. So what is it? Chapter 1 or chapter 3? Which one are you? Chapter 1 or chapter 3? Because here's the deal. I think chapter 3 is won the day. I think it's won the day. I think it's won the day in the church of Jesus Christ all over the place. And I'm not saying that chapter 3 isn't in the Bible. It is. We just read it. I'm just saying chapter 3 has won the day for a lot of people in the church. And a lot of this, we could chase it back in the United States, um, probably to what we feel when we feel shame, but also then a sermon, a famous sermon that was preached that was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I don't think there is a sermon, maybe with the exception of the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that's been preached that has been more formative for our theology in America than that one that was preached way back by a Puritan evangelist. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it gave the picture that God was so angry with us. He's a, a God of retribution. He's a God of burning hot anger against people so much so that gave the image of a spider being dangled over a fire with a thread just trying to get away from that flames that God holds us like that over the fire itself. This image that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I wonder with you, let's play with that a bit, is that the image that Jesus gave? Because Jesus did say this to Philip. He said to him that if you want to know the Father, look at me. To see me is to see the Father. So let's look at Jesus. What was he like? He had compassion on the multitudes. He brought children in when others would reject children from the presence of adults, especially a rabbi. He was one that had conversation with and was pushing hard for the liberation of the oppressed. He stood for the underdog of society. What was he like? Well, we can see it because the scripture actually says it this way, that not in the hands of an angry Jesus, but he was a friend to sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Look at him. He's with sinners. He hangs out with the people that nobody else will hang out with. This is who he was. If you want to see God, take a look at Jesus. And then you can see the very redemptive power of God in Jesus that he held nothing back in order to redeem us to himself, not even his son. This is the love and the passion of God. First and foremost, the picture we get of God in the face of Jesus Christ is a God of love and compassion. Is it not the story that Jesus himself told Sinners in the hands of an angry God or sinners in the hands of a loving God? There was 99 sheep, he said. One of them, one of them wandered off. Let me paint a picture of your shepherd. He will go and put himself in danger in order to find you, to rescue you. That's what you mean to him. That's your worth, your value to him. A son that wandered off. A son that did everything wrong. 
A son that sinned greatly against him. And he sat there actively waiting for that son to come home. Not passively, wondering, eh, will he or won't he? No big deal. Actively waiting, looking out the window every single day. So much so that when the son even stepped foot on the property and he heard news of it, he took off running in his direction. And it wasn't about the sin at that moment. It was about his child coming home. This is the picture that he gives. Are you chapter 1 or are you chapter 3? Which one are you? Are you chapter 1 or are you chapter 3? Let me take a turn at this one myself and I'll answer it for you. From my perspective, you have to answer it for you. I cannot answer this one for you, but I can answer it for me. I'm both. I'm not chapter one or chapter three because I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. I'm both. I know. I know that I've made a mess in certain situations. I know Sometimes I need help knowing this, but when I say things that are hurtful to others and others help me to see this other side of myself, I know the things that I've done that I need to, to ask God to please forgive and restore and heal me for. I know all that stuff. I know that feeling inside that's called shame. I know when I want to hide from that stuff. I know that. That's chapter 3. Yeah, I know that. But I also know this. <laughs> I know chapter 1, and I know when I read books. I know when I read a book, I don't start in chapter 3. The book actually starts in chapter 1. And I know the beginning of the story, and I know this, that I and you, I know that I can look at a picture of a bunch of little children, and I can throw a word up like innocent. I can see that, and there's no shame of those children yet. They have nothing to be ashamed of, although I've seen children that have blown their diapers, and you should be ashamed of that, but they're just too young. They don't have it, right? Actually, for you that are going to have children someday, how a baby can poop themselves all the way up to their neck, I have no idea. No idea. But, but you look at that, there's no shame there. It's just, they're just children. They're just children. It takes a little bit of life until all of a sudden go, I want to hide. I know I've been created in the image of God. I know that I've never locked eyes on anybody that hasn't also been created in the image of God. I know from experience, I'm both. I get it. I think it's what King David said. He knew too. This is what King David said about himself. He said, you, speaking to God, created my inmost being. This is is the guy that, that murdered a guy whose wife he had adultery with. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Yeah, I know what I did, guilty, but I know who I am. I've been wonderfully made. I was before the hospital. I was being knit together in my mother's womb. And you were doing a beautiful work when you made me. You were doing something amazing that I, somehow, a human being, I bear the very image of God. And by the gift of your spirit, I can actually look like, live like, serve like, be like Jesus, be the aroma of Christ in this world. You have prepared me for that. 
I've spoken to so many different people over the years that that have locked on to chapter 3 and wondered nothing about chapter 1. They live out of that last one. I am not worthy. I remember speaking with a woman years ago. She opened my eyes to something and she was just saying that in the church, we don't do very good with this subject. And she began to share with me, she was in her 50s, but she was sharing with me that she had had an abortion. And she said, we just don't do well with this one in the church because when I hear of all the things that God is willing to forgive us for, I hear pastors say all the time, if you lie, if you cheat, if you steal... If you say something that's painful to somebody else, you know, like those things. I hear those list of things. I just never hear this one. So I've always wondered. I've always wondered, am I worthy? Am I okay to be forgiven too? Like that's chapter 3. That's chapter 3. There's chapter 1 too. In the beginning, he already declared, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we don't stop at chapter 1, but see it in the face of Jesus, what, who, wasn't he willing to forgive? Who, wasn't he willing to be in relationship with? He was a friend to sinners. Paul said that the love of God is so high and so low and so wide and so long, you can't outstretch it. And it captures us. I think about 10 years in prison ministry, and I heard stories, like really intense stories, stuff that I'm like, wow, I've thought I heard everything, but now maybe maybe I recognize I haven't heard it all. And the block that I was in doing prison ministry with these guys, it was it was the block where you were in there for life. They were lifers. But for those guys to begin to recognize Guilt and shame are two different things. And guilt is what I did, but shame has somehow begun to make me feel like I'm lesser and I'm not worthy. And to help them take that journey back to go, no, even you, regardless of your story, even me, regardless of my story, even you, regardless of your story, you are worthy of being loved How do I know that? (laughs) Because God sent His Son. For God so loved the world. That's how. Because He came for you. And I wonder, when you start thinking about your view of humanity, I know God's view because you can see it in the person of Jesus, what He did because of humanity. His love for humanity. You're one of them. I'm one of them. I wonder if you were to sit here today and I were to ask you to do this, and you can do it in your head, but if I were to ask you to write it down, just in your head, come up with three names of people that you say they are so worthy of love. Who are those three? One more. Do another one. Who's the four? Add another. Who's the fifth one? 
how long would we have to go before you finally had your name on your list? Because you are worth loving. That's the story. That's where it begins. It's where your story begins. It's where my story begins. That we are so deeply loved by God. And there is no human being we will ever meet, including the one that we see in the mirror in the morning, that isn't worth love. Let it begin there as we take this journey together in this book of Genesis. Let's pray. Father, thank you for proving in person right here on planet Earth with your feet set on the ground and eventually your son's arms stretched out on the cross, laid in the tomb, victorious over that grave, saying, I've done it. I've eradicated the need for shame. I've done it. I've taken care of guilt. And you are a redemptive God, and that is the greater story throughout all of Scripture. When we encounter you and you encounter us in the reading of this word, we find ourselves in such a beautiful place of being loved by you. May we here today, who have felt the weight of shame, feel it lifting even now. May we find within this place, this space, the kind of hope that comes with vulnerability, choosing the right person carefully to begin to share part of that story and and let that go, that we might truly get more fully known. And in so doing, may we have the kind of grace in this place that is just like yours. May we have the kind of view of others that we know you have of us. And may that actually be part of the dream that you have, that I have for your church. That we would be a shame-free zone because of your immense love that didn't just come to us. But now, how's this? I can live like you? We can love like you? We can give ourselves to others, even as you gave yourself to us. That's what you said to us. The Father sent me. Your turn. Now I'm sending you. Amen.